Hi everyone, my name is Aisa, and in conjunction with World Mental Health Day, which happened over the weekend, Seek to Speak is presenting a four-part podcast special dedicated to normalizing conversations surrounding mental health. In part three today, you will be hearing from four of our lovely community members talking about their experience with common mental health myths and misconceptions that they face. Two of them have decided to be identified, and this is a trigger warning, as the episode will touch on issues surrounding mental health stereotypes, self-harm, as well as stigma. In this episode in particular, our community members will discuss their difficulties with diagnosis and getting the right help for their medical condition due to ongoing misconceptions that people have about mental health and how these stereotypes harm more than it helps. They also discuss how to better respond to loved ones sharing their struggles as well as how to live with a mental health illness. As usual, this episode should not be taken as medical advice and you should still consult your own mental health care provider for help. Last week, a little bit of good news, our episode was focused on decriminalizing attempted suicide in Malaysia and I'm happy to announce that the government had recently also announced its intention to decriminalize the act. So it's also important to realize that policies can change and we can and should always try to be better and do better for the people who need help. Over the weekend, we also held a Women With Words meeting on the team Mindfulness in order to teach our girls to be more resilient and ready to face the daily stresses and anxieties that life throws at them. Our guest speaker, a mindfulness teacher and practitioner, Noel, founder of the Kinder Mind Center, not only shared valuable insights on how to be more mindful, but she also guided us through a short meditation practice during the session. We thought it would be fitting to end this episode by reproducing this mindfulness practice in order to help center our listeners so that it can be more present in the moment. We hope you learn from the views shared by our brave community members who chose to speak up today as well as heal a little bit from the short 8 minutes mindfulness practice with Noel at the end of this episode. Be sure to catch our final installment of our four-part special which is dropping next week where we discuss our favorite mental health hacks or DIY home remedies that we can do at home in order to feel better. In the meantime, enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, my name is Cass. For some context, I am someone who has had clinical depression since I was about 15. Uh, Not only am I clinically depressed, but I also have a panic disorder, among other things. Uh, And these are things that didn't come to me uh, all at once. I felt some sort of revelation or a definitive diagnosis. It took many years and many, many rounds of speaking with counselors, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, everything under the sun, um, before I found someone who finally provided me with an answer that was something a little more solid than me being neurotic or oversensitive and all the other things that people said I was. I think one of the most common myths that affected the way that I dealt with my mental health in my teen years was that everybody at the time sort of viewed it as just a state of mind. It was a me thing. It was not, uh, it was a phase, you know, everybody was going through puberty, you're just going through the motions, or I just wasn't making an effort to be more positive and not be sad all the time. 
And I think this is one of the biggest defining factors about why kids of that age are afraid of approaching people to seek help. And because they themselves don't know if what they're feeling is genuinely uh, an issue or if this is just, it is, as they say, an effect of puberty. I think the most important part with that is nowadays to always sit down and speak with your kids and not only just for the birds and the bees, but to talk to them about the fact that as you develop physically, you are also developing mentally and you are growing. And sometimes there might be feelings that you have in yourself that you might not feel as normal, but it's perfectly normal it, it, that, that you might feel about in, in terms of anxiety or depression, anger even. And I think that parents and adults shouldn't dismiss when kids come to them for help or when kids come to them for advice. I, I really don't think it's going to help anyone if you dismiss their concerns. Hi there, I'm Sneka and this is my view of the stereotypes that I went through when I was found out with the diagnosis of mental health illness. Well, being from a very typical Asian household, I feel like there's going to be a lot of stereotypes, a lot of discrimination and like something that they're not going to understand because one thing I've understood over the time is that because they never really knew what mental health was, so they don't choose to know it as well. They don't choose to learn it. So when you go and tell them and bombard them and be like, oh, hey, I have this, they're going to be like, shut up. It's not going to exist. There's nothing like that. And yes, it's going to hurt. But trust me, over time, it's either you give them time or you just adapt to the fact that they're not going to get used to it. You just got to, you know, take on life the way you want to take on life. A, a stereotype that I went through was definitely one being age. You know, there's apparently this stereotype where mental health illnesses is only supposed to come for people who are above 40, you know. So if you're a kid and you go and tell them, hey, I think I'm going through something, I want to see someone professional, they're going to be like, you're 20, you're 18. What do you have to stress about? All you have to do is study. All you have to do is, you know, get good grades. And the thing is, they don't understand that behind good grades, there's a whole lot of life that's happening. There's this misconception that things need to be really, really, really bad, like your world is breaking apart bad, for you to seek help. No, life is hard, and there are times where professional advice or therapy can help. Don't wait for me to confess to you my suicidal thoughts for you to think that therapy is finally okay. People tend to believe that psychiatric medicine is harmful, that or they believe that psychiatric medicine is simply happy pills or an easy way out for those with mental illness to avoid dealing with their problems. Again, this is simply not true. Someone did question me about it, like, do you need? to take the medicines or is it compulsory for you to take it every day? It is not a harmful question in my perspective, but 
it show that people do have stigma towards psychiatry um, medicine. Just like uh, any other medical condition, medical illness is still an illness. For many with mental illness, medication is necessary, just like it would be for a diabetic taking insulin. For some individuals with mental illness, medication is needed for survivors and for the others, like those who have a mild to moderate depression, anxiety or ADHD, this medication can help to ease their symptoms so they can function normally. Mental health uh, disorder uh, illness, not sign of a weakness or poor character either. Similarly, people with, uh, for instance, depression cannot snap out of it any more than someone uh, with the diabetes or psychiatrist uh, can immediately recover from their condition. People with depression cannot immediately recover from the condition immediately. We now have research and studies that show that mental health disorders and diagnoses are, are about the same sort of issues as a physical illness. There is a lack of or an excess of something in our bodies that causes us to be susceptible to these things. And it is a chemical imbalance in the brain, just something that sometimes does better with treatment and medication. And it is something that is beyond our control. And other times, it just requires some guidance through understanding what they're feeling and, and overcoming these emotions. Uh, neither of them, there is no better or worse in the sense nothing is, is better than the other. Some people need the medication to balance out their hormones and some people don't. And I think the biggest myth or sort of stigma or taboo about this is the fact that we demonize medicating for mental health, which I don't think we should be doing because you don't demonize people who need um, insulin for their diabetes. You don't demonize people who need blood pressure medication for their high blood pressure, you know, for their cholesterol. And I don't think we should demonize kids who need medication or people who need medication, anyone of any age, for uh, depression or anxiety or bi bipolar, any of these mental health issues, because it is it is an illness, it is a disease, and it should be treated and respected as one. For myself, I have been through the ringer uh, in terms of treatments and medications, and I have had very big ups in my life and very big downs in my life. Uh, I myself am personally, and I willingly choose to be medicated because I have seen the states of mind that I have gone through without medication, and I, from one for myself, I'm lucky enough that I have that sense of awareness to understand that I prefer myself and I function better when I have medication uh, where in comparison to when I'm off meds. And it's not as if like I haven't made any effort of, of quote-unquote not needing the meds. You know, people say meditate, 
or take vitamin B, do whatever, natural supplements, you know, happy things. And and it is partly that, of course, physical exercise helps anyone because it is ironically or not ironically, but the fact is when you when you suggest exercise to somebody to make you feel better, it is about the release of serotonin and dopamine into your body, which is a chemical. And likewise, these medications do the same thing for us without us having to be like running 10 kilometers a day uh, just to get that runner's high. So that is is one of the things that I would wish people understood more about medication for mental health. It's not a crutch. It's not an addiction. Nothing. You can't say that, right? Like it's not, it's not the same thing. I think people also have to be aware of the fact uh, that different types of medications, and there are many different types of medications that treat uh, specific mental health uh, illnesses. And sometimes you have to go through a, a, a time period in your life where you experiment and you try to understand which chemical, which medication works best for you and your body and your health. And hopefully it will be able to do beneficial for you because sometimes there are old drugs very consistent drugs and then there are testing new drugs with maybe with lesser side effects or something that works faster or works more consistently you know it's the same way of how we used to take morphine in our cough medication and now we have diphenhydramine now we have non-drowsy medications Sudafed, Benadryl, all these things, Prospen, you know that kind of stuff it's it's the same thing it's not about I don't know. It's just this odd little world that people come into thinking that somehow psychiatric medication is is somehow more similar to things like cocaine or heroin or drugs than than medication. You know, it's called medication for a reason. It's controlled medication. It's a controlled substance. It's it's medication that is prescribed because they need it. And I think kids and adults who are going through that phase of trying to figure out which medication that works better for them shouldn't be disheartened when they maybe might not have the the reaction or the effects that they are expecting from their first round. I think you just have to be honest with your doctor and you have to be a little bit more, I think, give yourself a break in that sense. Maybe one drug doesn't work. Go and speak with your doctor, see what side effects you're going through, have them suggest um, what might be a better alternative. There will be options. There are always options. There are always choices. And that's something that people should be comfortable enough to explore. Because when I was diagnosed, I was about 20, in 1920. And before that, I knew I had stuff, but... The last time I remember telling someone, it was, oh, yeah, atten- seeking for attention. And let me tell you, that's another stereotype. Apparently, people who are going through illnesses are seeking for attention. In other words, attention seekers, which is not true. But that's also another stereotype and misconception that I had to go through. Because when I first told someone, they were like, you are just, you're just asking for attention. You want something? Come, let me buy you something. What do you want? You know, and it's, they have gotten so used to giving you things materialistically that when you go and tell them something about emotions, they're like, okay, come, let me, let me buy you something. Let me give you something. You'll be fine after that. And there is also this, you know, this, um, 
conception and stereotype that I went through, which was in my family, which was basically, oh, she's already the troublemaker and now she's making pity for herself. And I'm like, what sense does that make? First and foremost, I'm not a troublemaker. You all named me a troublemaker. That is not my issue. And definitely one that I forgot to mention earlier was about self-harm. You know, there's always this misconception of self-harm, like, you know, your skin is not paper for you to cut. Your body is not a dump, uh, medicine dump for you to overdose. I mean, yes, I think people who do that pretty much know that it's not. But at that point of being, your mind only wants to do that because that's the only time your pain feels relieved. So don't come and tell me that my paper is not skin. I mean, my, my skin is not paper because I know it's not. But, but the thing is, this stereotype and like misconception about how, you know, self-harm is also attention-seeking. Self-harm is just a play of things. It's not a play of things. It's something serious. I mean, I'm not going to, um, you know, speak for everyone. There are people who do it for fun. But let's just put them aside. Okay, people who actually genuinely do it, do not do it because... They want someone to notice and be like, oh my god, why are you doing that? No. Half the time if you see people who are self-harming, they do cover up their scars. So it's not that it's done for attention. It's just done for self-satisfaction of pain. Which sounds terrible sometimes. It can be. But sometimes that seems like the only resort. You know? I will say as well that Mental health is not a death sentence, and at the same time, it does not define you. Meaning you are not, in and of itself, you are not your diagnosis. A lot of people, and this is sort of like, it goes two ways, right? So when, when you tell someone you're depressed, they kind of go, oh, she's depressed. And then they kind of walk on eggshells around you for whatever reason. And at the same time, there are kids out there who are going, oh, I'm depressed, you know, that's as an excuse. It doesn't define your personality and it doesn't give you an excuse to be an awful person. Nothing gives you an excuse to be an awful person. It, nothing really does, ever does. And you should keep that in mind. Um, but at the same time, you know, I think it is just a part of you. And it's something that you should ideally come to terms with and and learn how to manage it because it is like every other illness it is not a death sentence just because you were diagnosed with depression or anxiety does not mean that your entire world part is just a thing for you to help uh it's just a thing for you to learn how to manage i think you shouldn't define your present or past experiences with mental health uh, uh as a be all end all like, if you were going through a dark phase in life at some point, that does not mean that you will always be going through a dark phase. People go through highs and lows. I've been through pretty intense highs and pretty intense lows. I mean, it, it takes this sense of acceptance and closure with the fact that you have all these things, but it doesn't stop you from being a functional human being. You know, you can... You can have a full life and you can enjoy yourself. You can be quote unquote normal. You can go out with your friends, joke around, laugh, have fun. I, I would encourage that more than anything, especially when you're depressed, because when you are, are surrounded by people who listen to you, care about you, who can see you for more than your diagnosis, it, it 
definitely helps morale as well and your own confidence in yourself, which I think is also a big part uh, in, in how people with mental health kind of deal with that. Because when you treat them like a leper, when you isolate them, when you ostracize them, for them that doesn't help. For me, in my situation, I do become fragile with my emotion when I get uh, in the trigger something like situation that trigger my emotion, like my symptoms. But when I went through this uh, situation, the experience that make me more empathize with others that might have the same situation as I am. We can use it to our advantage as well to help other people to get better and thus it become our strength and we are capable of becoming resilient and handle our hard times. Like someone, like someone said, <laughs> fighting a mental health condition takes a great deal of strength. Generally, being from an Indian household, I can tell you that there is no place for such thing. There is no place for such thing. And at this point, it's just cultural abuse. I mean, sometimes I tell myself, it's not that they want to hurt me, but, well, they don't understand. But sometimes I'm like, can you please try to understand? Because it, it hurts. You know, the, 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 I'm already going through enough. But then you are here sitting and telling me, no, you're this, no, you're that. And I'm like, okay, cool. I know of everything, got it. So, <laughs> being in a very typical household, one being an Asian culture, one being an Indian household, a lot of things just don't make sense. And I think I can say it was pretty much, it can be pretty much similar for the Asian household culture, regardless of what background you're coming from. But let me remind you that none of those misconceptions, stereotypes, or anything of that sort is you, all right? If you feel like you need help, grab it, find it. Don't let any other people tell you otherwise because at the end of the day, only we can save ourselves. And as harsh as it sounds, that is the truth. So do take care of yourselves. Do take time to take care of yourselves. And, you know, life will get better eventually, one day. I guess before I go, one parting advice I can give anyone who is struggling with mental health is to reach out and to seek help because there is support out there for you. And for those of you who might be a bit unsure about how to help your friends or family or loved ones who might be going through these things, it really is just about being there with them, check in on them, sit down and listen to them, like genuinely sit and listen and empathize. You know, it's not just about sympathize, but it's empathize and show them that they're not alone in this world. (laughs) 
So just getting into a comfortable position where you are at now. Uh, you can choose to sit on the chair or you want to can sit on your on the floor on a cushion or, or just be where you are right now. And there's also an option to stand up if you wish. Maybe you've been sitting down for a long time and you just want to just stand up and just experience uh, this. Uh, it wouldn't be too long. And so just closing your eyes if you wish or just keeping them open or just lowering the gaze. And as best as you can, sitting upright, embodying a sense of mindfulness, wakefulness, a sense of dignity, softening the shoulders, keeping the chest wide open, and just feeling a sense of balance ahead. And just noticing where you've placed your feet. Are they on the floor? Or are you sitting cross-legged? Either way is fine. And just checking in, just noticing your legs, your hands, hands on the lap or on the table, whichever that's comfortable for you. And just checking into the face, um, facial muscle, noticing perhaps any tension that may have built up, the jawbone area, the hinge of the jaw that connects to, to the ears, the mouth area, cheek muscles, temples of the head. And just noticing that you're breathing. As you take an inhale and exhale. And of course, it's very normal if the mind wanders. Just very gently bringing the mind back to the breath. Feeling the physical sensations of breathing in the body. Perhaps noticing the sensations in the chest or in the belly. Perhaps the rise and fall of the chest. Now, as you're sitting here or standing, bringing to mind someone whom you have an easy relationship with. Perhaps a next door neighbor, a colleague from another team. Simple, uncomplicated relationship. So bringing to mind that person's face, the person's name. And then just bringing an intention to bear of well-wishing this person. May you be well. May you be safe and may you be happy. May you be well, may you be safe, may you be happy. And then letting go of that picture of that person or the image of the person and bringing to mind 
someone whom you're really fond of, someone you're quite close to. The name, the image of the person. And just dropping into the body and just noticing what feelings arise when you bring to mind this person. Now, they don't have to be all pleasant feelings. They could be a mix, unpleasant, slightly pleasant, neutral even. But someone you are fond of. And then wishing this person well. May you be well. May you be safe. And may you be happy. May you be well. May you be safe. May you be happy. And then letting that go and bring to mind yourself. Just sending a well wish to you. May I be well. May I be safe. And may I be happy. And just dropping in and just noticing what feelings emerge as you bring to bear these well wishes for yourself. May you be well, may you be safe, may you be happy. Now the feelings may be mixed and it's perfectly fine. And just honour and acknowledge whatever feelings there are. It is okay to even feel strange to wish yourself well. And now we bring to mind, bring to mind a sense of the people in this group here right now with you, right this moment. And sending everyone well wishes. May you be well. May you be safe. And may you be happy. And just feeling whatever sensations or emotions that are felt in the body, if any. It's okay if it's neutral. There's no need to push yourself to feel anything in particular. We just bring to bear an intention to wish people well. And now, bringing the attention back to the breath. Once again, just becoming aware of your breathing as you're inhaling and exhaling. Noticing the pauses in between each breath. And I'll read you this poem. It's an Irish blessing. And so it's my, uh, my well wishes for you. May the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back. May the sunshine warm upon your face and rain fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Let me just sit in silence for a few moments.
Okay, and when you're ready, allowing the eyes to open and just taking in the space again. And so that was a short befriending practice that you can do anytime, just bringing to mind someone that you're fond of or someone whom you want to wish, wish well. Thank you so much for listening. I would also like to thank my community members for being so brave with providing your views. I know some of these experiences may be painful and difficult to verbalize. So we are really, really grateful for you providing your views during this episode. As for the listeners, I really hope you learned from what was shared today and are more open-minded with tackling as well as deconstructing some of these stereotypes that you meet along the way regarding mental health and more importantly i hope you also feel a little bit more calm and ready to take on whatever you have next after the mindfulness exercise with noel lim do join us for our part four finale next week where we'll teach you or provide you or share with you some of our favorite mental health diy hacks until then bye